welcome to the No Fly List, where we talk about what it's like to be brown in America. I'm Athir. And I'm Layla. And today we have a very special guest, Palestinian-American comedian and storyteller, Susie Afridi. Welcome, Susie. Hi, thank you, guys. We, we're here in Susie's apartment, which it's is really beautiful. very lovely and very artistic and makes me feel really insecure about my place. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel really insecure about being homeless, too. Oh, yeah, wait, why are you homeless? I'm, you know this because, and now even the listeners know this because Susie doesn't know. But basically, I now know that you're homeless. You know yeah. that I'm homeless, and it's because my roommates uh, are a couple, or my former roommates are a couple, so they're just moving in by themselves. But since I'm a freelancer, I don't have like I don't qualify for like an apartment in New York, which is so stupid. Um, so I'm actually I'm staying. This is what I thought you would think is really funny out there. I'm staying at my boyfriend's house, but he's not there. He's overseas do, wor- working on a story. He's also a journalist, so he's not there, right? But my dad came down to help me move, and I was so nervous of okay. him just not not even knowing that it's my boyfriend, not even knowing any of those things, just knowing that I was physically in the space of a man, that I, <laughs> I took out all, everything s- that was masculine. He could smell it. <laughs> yeah, everything that was masculine. You burned the place down. <laughs> I, I hid everything in the closet. I took down all the pictures of us, or if there were pictures that looked like too manly I just like covered them up with like beach pictures that I had (laughs) and then I another friend of mine who's also a journalist is on like a month-long tour of Thailand and her name is Kirsten so I was like okay I'm gonna tell my dad this is Kirsten's apartment because she also happens to be out of the country so it's not totally a lie (laughs) it couldn't Um, have been inhabited by a man within a certain period of time even even if you like subleased her like yeah even I was just so paranoid and so scared that I was like no 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 it's not worth it so I was like, I'm going to say it's Kirsten. I'm going to do all this stuff. I hit everything. I tried to make it look more girly, like I threw pillows around. (laughs) And then I was like, it's fine. He's going to come in. It'll be five seconds. And it was, he was in there for like half, like 30 seconds. And then he started asking all these questions about Kirsten. Like, what does she do? What's her life? What's she working on? And I was like, oh my, like, thank God. It's good that Kirsten's a real person. I know. Thank God I chose a real person so that my lie was easy to keep. What if your dad hears this podcast? He's not going to hear it. If he does hear it, I'm sure he'll forgive me, but... Um, but yeah, so it was, it was such a stressful weekend and it was, um, probably not the best idea on my part, but, uh, it was successful. So it's crazy that we have to like, like everything is like shame based. Yeah. Yeah. We have to hide our lives. We were talking yeah. about this in the, in the previous episode too. And, uh, Susie, I, I was listening to your story, uh, telling episode at the moth which was awesome it was called olive oil eyes yeah. yeah so you you have experience in this department of having to hide a boy from your family right can you tell us like yeah. about that yeah i had to uh, um you guys are lucky at least you got to like move away and live yeah. on your own i was living at home and i was living in san jose california and um Saqib, who uh, who's now my husband at the time he was my boyfriend he I didn't even use the word boyfriend. That alone brings shame. Oh, yeah. Um, he lived in San Francisco. And so when when I first met him, uh, I was terrified of telling my family because he's Muslim and my family's Christian. So we dated in secret for three months. And it was just like guilt, shame, and just like it was like a hot sauce, like of guilt, shame, and blame. <laughs> a red and white sauce. Yeah, it's like, it's like the halal card hot sauce. The, the haram card. That's what's in it. <laughs> That's what that's what makes it so spicy then. Yeah. So where did you grow up though? You didn't grow up in California, right? No, I grew up in the West Bank in Jericho. And then around the first intifada in uh, 88 we might like migrated, immigrated. I don't know. I don't know which one of those is it. 
like ethnic cleansing. I don't know which one. Yeah, whenever, we're like we don't do grammar here. So. Yeah, <laughs> I say one word, my dad always tells me it's the other one. And yeah, he gets really offended if I use the wrong one. I always thought we had a choice, like we we migrated to America, but when I researched the history of my family, we were ethnically cleansed, mm-hmm. and so uh, we moved to San Jose, California. What was that move like? Oh my god, it was such a culture shock. It was yeah, complete seriously. culture shock, and my sister and I were just like sort of like dumped in this terrible high school. I remember the first day I came home from school and I told my mom, I said, kids in America don't want to study. They're not there to study. They're there to socialize. Oh, my God. My <laughs> parents say that to me, like, the, my whole childhood. That was their thesis. Yeah. they, they No, this was a very bad school. Yeah. And um, I remember the first day in chemistry class, I saw this girl, like, putting mascara on and curling her eyelashes. I was horrified. In class? <laughs> in class. That's just, yeah, you I gotta mean, look good for algebra. Yeah, but even even so, wouldn't you go to the bathroom to like? Yeah, yeah. You know, I had this like traumatic experience shame. with public schools, and then when my son was old enough to go to school, I I I I was wishing we could afford private because I thought all public schools are like that. I thought all of schools in America are like that. Yeah, it depends and where then, you live, I guess, or what yeah. neighborhood, and yeah, it's very. Then different. I met like the private school of public schools, and and I remember after the first day in kindergarten, I came home and I looked up my son's school, and then I looked up my high school, and the difference was like the rating wise. Were there like, like metal detectors? Yeah, like, oh. it wasn't that bad then. This was before school shootings, but there were like drunk teachers. Oh my god! What? Yeah, there was. I remember our French teacher would just put her feet up on the <laughs> desk and just eat nonstop. Did what kind of school did you go to in, in Palestine? Oh, it was the cutest. It was a Catholic school. It was like a Franciscan school run by nuns from Malta. Oh wow! And they they taught us Italian, and and it was like a very nice school. It was all girls. I so it was I, a complete yeah. culture shock for me. I remember in third grade, I went to school in Palestine, and I just got kind of thrown into also a Catholic school in Ramallah, and all. Um, sorry, no, I went to a girl's school in middle school, but this was third grade, and I was just thrown into an, an all-Arabic-speaking school. And I just remember how, like, strict, like, the nuns yeah. were. Like, they would hit you with a ruler, literally. And, yeah, yeah. Like, if you disrespected, or the teachers, they would just feel free to hit you. On the, I mean, I, I was a goody-two-shoes. That, that never happened. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I never got hit, so I had an excellent experience. But my <laughs> sister got hit, and my brother got hit. So they, they don't look back on private Catholic schools as... A good thing, but I loved it. <laughs> what about you, Layla? Did you have that experience? I also, I went to Catholic school for high school, but no. I mean, I told you a little bit about my school, I think, um, last, last oh, yeah. episode. Well, I think it's different in America. It's you so went, different. Yeah, and it was you can't in, hit in your the, students. In Alabama, like, so it was more Alabama-y than Catholic, I learned later. But I, I thought Catholicism was, like, really, um, like... Like, I don't even know. More so strict like, than... Not not more strict, more, like, racist and trashy. And then you're like, oh, that's just And then the it South. turns out that's not the case. Yeah, <laughs> Catholicism is, like, one of the more progressive sects of Christianity, which I did not know. Um, yeah, so. it is, because I, I was raised Greek Orthodox Christian. So on yeah. Sunday, we'd go to Greek Orthodox yeah, Church. Yeah. and But the school was Catholic. And, and I, even as a kid, I realized that the Catholic school was much more progressive than the Mm -hmm. greek orthodox church yeah i mean once i started interacting with catholic people in college and like anywhere else but alabama i was like wow this is so not what my experience (laughs) was like they they used to say things to me like like people that liked me which was very few they were like 
it's so sad that we're not going to see you in heaven because you're not baptized. Oh my and God. I would be like, okay. <laughs> People would ask me all the time if I got saved, you know, if I like accepted Jesus in my heart. I guess not. <laughs> not yet. Uh, well, how did, how was the change for you, Susie, from, you know, going from like a Greek Orthodox, was it Greek Orthodox you said? Yeah. School and then public school and then meeting a Muslim man, like was there any kind of cultural difference that you found there? No, actually, you know, Saqib is Pakistani and I felt like he, culturally, Pakistanis are just like the same as Arabs. It's the same Eastern culture, the same values and principles and beliefs. But the, yeah, the religion was a problem. I wasn't very religious. He wasn't very religious. Um, and we knew we knew it was going to be an issue with my family. And, you know, we had a long like year battle with them. But after that, after we got married, it's never been an issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's just I, th- I feel like people who uh, live in like New York or like big cities, religion is such a private thing. Like it's something that you yeah, practice. Definitely. You don't talk about it. Like people look down at you if you talk about it. That's very true. That's a really important distinction, I think, because it was not like that in Alabama. It was very much like people in would your face. Buy yeah. Muslim or Christian, because yeah. if you're in the Muslim community in a very small town, you know, people, you kind of feel pressure to join that community and yeah. to be a part of it. And if you're kind of, you know, moderate, you're not, you know, I feel more culturally Arab or Palestinian and maybe, you know, I'm not. I'm not really practicing Muslim and there is not really a community for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like for secular Muslims. Like, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like we're secular Muslims yeah. and I, I love the culture. I love like Arabic, the Arabic language and the culture and the, and the music uh, more like more. Uh, we don't practice Islam. How many times yeah. do people just think that you're from the same place, Palestine and Pakistan? Oh my God, all the time, <laughs> all the time. Sax has been has his job for 10 years and the other day he was dressed like, like, like somebody who wanted to be in a country club and his colleague is like, you look like the Arab who didn't get into the country club <laughs> and didn't know. And Sax is like, I'm not Arab. Just they're like, oh yeah, that's the other thing. They don't, and they think that middle uh, Middle East includes like Pakistan. And yeah, India. yeah, yeah. They're in like, fact, in his like like what, there was one time when he quit his job, and in his goodbye speech, they made fun of that. That like they all thought he was Arab, and they knew he wasn't. That they still referred to him as the as Arab. The Arab. Oh my God, like same thing. That's so. I mean, I guess it's not a big deal if. I, I just that's so crazy that's like calling like someone from Brazil Mexican yeah is that not the same thing <laughs> oh. my We're next door stuff. neighbor is Indian yeah. and she has like curly hair like me we look nothing alike yeah and people in the building confuse us all the Stop. time oh my god my co-worker is Spanish and Jewish and people think we're twins we both have curly brown hair that's yeah. about it and everyone in the office literally thinks we're twins <laughs> We're like, that is so weird. Like, we're, yeah, we're like, we're not even the same ethnicity. What? You have to show me a picture of her later. I will. While well, we were at um, her wedding on Friday, and then my fiance oh, was like, you know what? Wedding you, you do at. look alike. So. <laughs> you looked beautiful at that wedding. I saw your photos. Oh, thank on you. Instagram. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I don't think fun. you look like her at all then. Because I saw it, like, I was like, whose wedding is this? Like, why are you at my someone's twin. wedding it's that's my wedding. not in our family? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is so well, weird. That was a cultural experience for me, too. Just the difference between... I haven't been to many American weddings. And yeah. it was such a different experience, you know, going to an American wedding versus Arab weddings, which are just super loud, 500 people. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is so nice and intimate. Yeah. Like, you can 
you can do that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can do she, what you want? Did she have, like, bridesmaids and stuff? No, there was no bridal party. So it wasn't but... super... Because I feel like that's the weirdest thing about American weddings. Sorry. Susie's alarm's going off to pick up her son. Yeah, I have to step <laughs> out to, to pick go up my son. If you have to go be a good parent, that's fine. Yeah, we forget. but I just wanted to add one thing about Saks looking Arab. When we were in Dubai, uh, he was in marketing then to his advertising marketing. So there's a lot of Lebanese people there. And they refuse to acknowledge that he's Pakistani. They're like, nope, he is Lebanese. He is one of us. <laughs> wow, that's actually surprising because I feel like he, it's hard to be accepted in that community, yeah, even yeah. in this era. No, they accepted him because he's fair. Because he's ah, fair, he has light eyes. I get that yeah. a lot too. Yeah. I mean, I don't have light eyes, but I am very but you're fair, fair. And people yeah. are always like, oh, you, wh- whatever, wherever I am in the Middle East or even like in like what do you call it, the Mediterranean? They're like, mm, you must be one of us. So, like people in Turkey were like, you must be Turkish. I was like, I got that want to too. claim you. Yeah. 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 I got that in Turkey too. I, I guess I'm like, like, my dad is definitely darker. My mom looks more, I mean, she doesn't look white because you could tell that she's mm-hmm. ethnic. Your mom looks Palestinian. Yeah. Yeah. But she, if you see my dad, like he's much darker. I guess it's just, uh, I don't know. We kind of came in the middle, but um, yeah, I, I do you want to talk? Your family is all like blue eyed though. My dad's side, yeah. yeah. Oh, my dad's side is like blonde it's and blue eyes. So striking. It's weird. Like I wait, remember wait, when wait, I first Where met are you from? Them. From outside Ramallah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There are people like from Khalil who are completely and, like dark skinned and like blue eyed. Yeah. Like, that's not fair. Like you That's Hebron. Yes, guys. Not all Palestinians are <laughs> not Arabs. All Arabs. Yeah, look like. Ahad Tamimi. Are you related to Ahad? She's, she's fair. I'm not related yeah. to her. Okay, go pick up your sound. We'll pick up. We'll be here. Sorry. And okay. we're back. We're back. You picked up your kid. I picked up my kid. You didn't leave him on the side of the road. No, no, no. no. Uh-huh. For, for the audience that won't have been more than like a two second. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, they're like, what happened? Back we, from where? I feel like that's how I do my comedy. Though I'm always doing it like in between, pick up, drop yeah, off, yeah. clean, like you know, it's like you have to squeeze it in between yeah. all of the the tasks. That how you do have you to do. find the time to do it all? Be a mom and. And do comedy and write and... I have no idea. Like, I wish, I always, I'm, I'm always like regretful. Like I'm, I, I live in regret. All, all of my motivations are negative. Like it's either like fear or regret. You're a or... true comedian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wish I had started comedy in my 20s um, or before I had kids. But I, I think the reason I didn't is because I grew up in a, in a home where like we're told not to talk because the Mossad is listening and the FBI is listening. Oh, wow. And so... Whenever I, I always had opinions and, and ideas, but I was never able to express them. And like there wasn't this sort of like, oh, go on like, stage and express there's yourself. There's no public forum for you no, to do that either. No, no, even inside the home, it was not encouraged. Wow. But I, I wish I had started comedy sooner because I think it's, it's not a young person's game, but it's, it's easier before kids because you can tour. Mm-hmm. You and it's all like in the I know evenings. a lot of people who have kids and were started after having kids. Um, I think like Joy Behar started when she was like forty or something. Really? Yeah, and so I I think it gives you a different perspective and just I, I remember like I, I tried comedy when I was when I first moved here. I did a couple open mics when I was like twenty one. And it was awful. And what I talk about now <laughs> is totally different. What did you a, talk about when you were twenty one? It's funny because I didn't even mention my ethnicity or being Arab and now it's such a big part of yeah. you know what I talk about I talked about oh gosh it was it was nothing that I could even remember I had like really stupid jokes about just just life how just... expensive tuition was <laughs> <laughs> life in New York relatable comedy. no I think you're right I think that that 
um, the more like the more of a life you have, basically, the more struggle you have, the mm-hmm. funnier you are. Oh yeah, are. for yeah. sure. <laughs> Sometimes without trying, yeah. a lot of times without trying. Yeah, as Arabs, I think struggle comes struggle <laughs> pretty comes. naturally. Oh my God, there's this comedian. She is white. She is very, very rich. She lives on the Upper East Side. She has like a Park Avenue apartment. She has no problem. She's thin. She has like a banker husband. And so when she gets up on stage, like people don't laugh. <laughs> and and one time, like I performed and then afterwards, she's like, I'm so jealous of, of your oppression. Your oppression gives you so much humor. <laughs> well, I mean, I've never just... I need to appreciate that sentence for a moment. I'm so jealous of your oppression. She was. She goes. Nobody laughs at my jokes. I'm like because there's you, nobody because feels sorry for funny. you. There's nothing to feel sorry for. <laughs> well, it's funny because like Seinfeld talks about growing up without having any problems, having a good childhood, and yes. you can his humor is yeah. His, his humor, humor is all observational, right? Uh, so so it's it just, about other people. He never gets personal. Or about just um, his observations in the world. And I'm not just, a I'm not a comedian, so this is a learning moment for me. But please yeah. go on. Oh, yeah. I just don't Layla, does struggle help you in the journalism field? Um, you you know what's funny? Uh, white journalists come up to me all the time, especially white female journalists, and they'll be like, this is your time. Like, being a Muslim <laughs> Arab woman right now, that's all people want to hire. Hot. It's hot. And you know what's funny? <laughs> the only people I know in, like, staff jobs are not people of color. They're almost across the Same board. Same in comedy. Like, white Ivy League, you know. Um, so they'll always say, like, I'm so jealous of you. Like, yeah. you just have, like, all this culture to talk about. And I'm like, mm, it doesn't really... Does not, it help when you're trying to get a job? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know where they get that sort of... I mean, with comedy, obviously, it, you, you're you more of an interesting, funny person if you have things to talk about. And if you're super, super privileged, you just don't have that much to talk about. But with journalism or with any other job, I'm like, it doesn't... I. It's such a, it's so annoying when people, like, PSA, don't say that to people. Yeah. So Susie's husband is recording us now. <laughs> yeah, he just walked in. He just walked in. Alhamdulillah, salama. No, yaatik al-afiyah. And he speaks Arabic. Yeah, that's amazing. He speaks four languages. He speaks, uh, yeah, he speaks Pashto, Urdu, Arabi, and English. We shouldn't spoil it because we want to interview you separately. Yeah, we do. You're, yeah, he's really the more interesting. Oh, and listen, one. he's got yeah, that radio awesome. voice. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. and the it's olive like, oil like eyes, as uh, Susie refers to. Him. And the, the, you know, I didn't call the story olive oil eyes, but in the story, when I did the moth story, mm. it, you know, I say, you know, I like I meet this beautiful guy. He had, like, his eyes were like the color of expensive olive oil because, like, <laughs> Palestinians. That's all we think yeah. about is like. Does you see green? You're like all we think oil. about is land, olives, olive oil. I think there's nothing else in our head. And lamb. And lamb, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And so then, as as I, I told the story, the moth people decided to call it olive oil eyes. It's cute. Yeah, it's catchy. I like it. Yeah. Um, we should also interview your son, though. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he gave us a little bit of dirt. He's a star. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he gave it. He said that whatever you tell us about him. No, wait. I shouldn't rat him out. He's right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> he's here. He's pretty quiet. Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he gives me so much material. Really? Yeah, he's oh, yeah. part of the struggle. Isn't he trying to do comedy too? Or no, no really. I mean, he did He did a story, like he did a, a five-minute story. And one time when I ran an open mic, he actually came and he did a solid five minutes. On, on stage? On stage, yeah. He's 
fearless. Oh I am. I I still fear stage. Like yeah. I every time I go on stage, I'm like shaking beforehand. I feel like when you're but younger, you don't. Right. Have, yeah, you're not afraid of it. You're not afraid. You don't. The world hasn't uh, chewed you up and yeah. spit you out yeah. in the face yet. But yeah. so actually, I was more shy when I was younger, to be honest. Really? It took me a really long time to get to the point to comedy. I did improv for a little while to kind of break me up. Oh. Did you feel nervous being on stage? Seriously? Yeah, I still do. Yeah. Like, I, I perform and I'm, and I'm nervous during performance. I, I just feel nervous. I decide like to living. embrace the fear and I just go for it. Yeah. Just getting on the subway, I'm like, I'm nervous. <laughs> I mean, like, leaving my house, if I want to get, like, a chocolate bar from the bodega, I'm like, oh, my God, what if somebody talks to me? <laughs> it's really tough. But, Susie, I didn't know you started comedy comedy like later i thought you'd yeah. been doing it forever no no i've only been doing it actually for four years i started uh, yeah why how did you start like how did you get into it? just one day you woke up and you're like you know what move over jerry seinfeld i'm here <laughs> yeah yeah no no it wasn't like that it, you know it's interesting this the palestinian channel al hurra interviewed me about this because they, oh i did that yeah. too yes yeah it was the yeah, women's day yeah. or something yeah i and I was very honest, and I'll be honest with you guys. I, what happened was I had like a midlife crisis. <laughs> and I went to, I, I was very anxious, and I was like yelling at my son and my husband. So I realized that's not normal. So I went to a therapist. Sex is confirming in the yeah. body. Yeah. I, I went to a therapist, and the therapist said, hey, you should journal. You know, journaling is very healthy. So I would journal, and I would share with her my writings. And then she said, you're very funny. You should take a writing workshop. So then I took a humor writing workshop with Gotham. Oh, yeah. And... As soon as I finished the workshop, uh, the teacher said to us, no one reads. You have to take your ideas to the stage. But then I didn't think anything about it. And then about three months later, I went to a comic strip live. I saw one of Dean's shows. But Dean Abedala, Dean Abedala, Palestinian American yeah. comedian. We've both done, uh, he's the founder of New York Comedy Festival. We are so grateful I mean, no, for sorry, Dean. New York Arab American yeah. Comedy Festival, him yeah. and Maysoon. Dean and Maysoon, a lot of my stage time has yeah. been like, yeah from them there was i'm so grateful to them but at this show it wasn't like a bigger brown show it was he had a korean comedian who did his entire routine in arabic and oh so, i know him i, I, uh, I don't remember Chung. his name yeah yeah who is that one whole chunk he's pretty famous in the middle oh, east and i can't yeah. even do a comedy in arabic i feel yeah. really inferior <laughs> but then i analyze his comedy and i realize oh it's, it's all fish out of water routine mm. and literally three days later I, I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, I want to do comedy. I'm a fish out of water. I'm a Palestinian woman living on the Upper West Side. And I woke up my husband and I said, I want to do comedy. And he, the first thing he said is, okay. He goes, thank God, because you have so many opinions and I'm so tired. Someone else them. needs to hear them. <laughs> and we were researching like comedy workshops at, in the middle of the night. Like, yeah, this was the summer of 2013. So, but it wasn't like... It wasn't like a need to be on stage. I mean, when I was in my 20s and I, in my 30s, I, like, I was pretty, I was pretty enough. Like, a lot of my cousins would say, you should go to Hollywood. Like, we lived in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. and But I never wanted to be that. I never wanted to be, like, like an actress on stage or... or an actress. No, I, I, I just, what drives me is, is the power. Like, I like the power of engaging people and... and you know, doing like a paradigm shift in their head. Like, like they start off thinking something, and then after they hear my joke, they they think something else. So that's what drives me. It's not yeah, like it's a not need about to the attention. No, I'm actually I don't like attention. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I find with comedians, it's one way or the other. Sorry, there's a siren. Yeah, there's a really. Yeah. Loud. It's amazing that we're pretty high up. We're on the tenth floor. It's amazing that it's still as loud as being on the side. I'm on the 
30th, not to brag. No. <laughs> okay. And I can hear streets. I think it echoes. <laughs> I'm in a sub-basement. <laughs> I think it's worse. Sometimes, like, in the you middle can... of the night, we hear, like, homeless people talking about no them way. on the curb. You can, yeah. it, it echoes upwards it echoes somehow, up. depending. But yeah. um, now anyway. I lost my train of thought. Whoa. Um, you were to say, oh, attention. What yeah, drives comedians? comedians yeah. You find uh, either extreme, the ones that really want attention yeah. or the ones that, you know, they want to be on stage, but without drawing attention to Do themselves. Do you find that one is ten, one group tends to be more or less successful than the other? I think it's just a different style. Like, yeah, it's a different style. At the end, I noticed that funny... Like, it's like Chris Rock says, funny trumps everything. It doesn't matter if it's driven from a personal point of view. It doesn't matter if it's, like, observational. It's You have to have a punch. Yeah. The, and, and, and that's what I see. And a unique point of view, which Very I think you have. View, because yeah. I don't think many people have experienced. Even you and I, we're both Palestinian-American comedians. Yeah. We have completely different stories, different life yeah. experiences. And Layla, like, you have, you know, even though you and in I both lived in Alabama. In your comedy. Yeah, I think your <laughs> point of view is so important. You also have a very unique point of view. Remember once we did the Dean's show? Yeah. And it was me, you, Maisoon, and Iman. Like, yeah, four all Palestinian, Palestinian women. Yeah. And guess what? We didn't talk about the same thing. Yeah. It was like, we all had different things to talk about. Which and one? Is Iman the one who's married to the Jewish woman? Yes. Yeah. She's funny. I yeah. mean, you're all funny. We're going to have her on the podcast. Yeah, sure. Iman is super funny. Yeah. yeah. Her and I did the Islamic Scholarship Fund. You weren't here, I think. Yeah, I was in yeah. Uh, Atlanta yeah, at the time. Yeah, she killed. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, we'll, we'll talk, I'll have to talk to her more about that for sure. When we Just, saw, because Athir, you took us to your Brick TV show where the, what is it? It's called The Breakdown. Yeah, The Breakdown. It's a, a late night political talk show about bringing Brown in America. So oh. we did a pilot for Brick TV. So we're just waiting to hear back whether that's going to go to series. Um, so it's hosted by Mehdi Barakshian. And so I was a writer for that. Oh, so, nice. And they, um, we had live uh, comedy. So we had Iman, uh, Hosseini and her wife Jess Solomon on there, so oh, that was cool. And it was first of all, they're all so funny. But um, so we went to the pilot. Athir invited me and my boyfriend, and we went to the pilot. And my boyfriend is Jewish, uh, and we both cover the same thing. Like he also covers conflict, and he's super pro-Palestinian and not. I I don't want to say anything accidentally slurry, so I won't. But um, uh, but our whole shtick, like when we go to parties, is that like he, his family is like all Holocaust survivors, and my family is all like Palestinian like Nakba survivors, survivors. Yeah. just period survivors. So um, so we, it's that's always like our thing, and all of our friends also cover like Syria and Palestine and all these things. So everybody's like super familiar, and it's the funniest thing. And we're like, oh, we're so great, we're so funny. Like this is so cute. And then when we went to your pilot, because Imani, her, is it Iman or Iman? Iman. Yeah. My bad, guys. My bad. Her <laughs> wife is also is Jewish, mm-hmm. and um, they're also a lesbian couple. So they have one more. Like, ah, they went up to <laughs> One more notch of, of, I don't even know what you would call it, like, hilarity and also struggle that makes them way more funny and we were just we left that and we were just like we've been dethroned are we yeah just they're drawn to conflict as as people and as oh yes comedians and as uh, yes you know, are you sure as a journalist do you know how often <laughs> i like break things in my house for no reason just because i'm bored and like <laughs> i just want to feel <laughs> i've fought with with my boyfriend or my family in enough time so i'm just like you know what i'm i'm gonna stir shit up right now for no reason um 
I maybe love conflict because it always gives you a story. <laughs> like when you talk to people who are, uh, uh, there's nothing wrong in their life. They're so boring. They are really yeah, boring. Like, and yeah. they're interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. And they also freak out, like the, the flip side of it is that they freak out about little things. Little like if things. they can't find a parking spot, their day will be ruined. And I feel like people like us or people who, you know, have kind of been dealt a more difficult hand. It's like you can, you can... You're just fine all the time. You know, you're also struggling all does, the time. It does definitely give you a different perspective. And uh, I mean, even though I, I'll complain that my coffee's taking too long or something stupid, but then it, it just, doesn't ruin your day. You know, it ruins my week, actually. <laughs> it ruins your <laughs> it ruins entire my life. life. Uh, I barely got out of bed this morning. But I think it just gives you a different frame of reference, of reference and gives you um, just more gratitude i think i don't know if you feel the same yeah, way yeah yeah like... yeah of course i always have um like this like like edward said talks about the permanent outsider point of view like you always feel like uh, like when i'm talking to like white moms who are complaining about like silly things like you know babysitters and like really like things that uh, you know i'm aware of like refugees in syria mm-hmm. because my cousins in the west bank work with refugees in syria like and i talk to them once a week so i have this like frame of reference in my head of like real issues mm-hmm. and then at the same time i have to like have empathy for yeah can you, can you tell our readers uh, readers god <laughs> we were just talking about how no one reads and we listen to podcasts uh just so people know who edward said is and they should look him up edward sure. said is like the greatest intellectual not just palestinian intellectual i think he's the greatest intellectual yeah. and um he he also lived on the upper west side yeah, he taught at columbia yeah he taught at columbia I just love all his books. Like, I read Out of Place, Orientalism. Yeah. He's um, incredible. Journalism and Islam. Yeah, yeah. Media yeah. and Islam. Covering Islam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Covering Islam. Yeah. He, like, he's so quotable. He's, no, he's amazing. And his yeah. daughter also has a book about, kind of like, about what our podcast is about. Um, Ooh, we should have Ron. Yeah, we yeah. should have Ron. I just realized that I haven't read the book because my parents just gave it to me. They were like, this is about her identity crisis. We think you'll you'll gain a lot from it. And I was like... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's called Searching for Palestine. Yes. You know, she also lives in the Upper West Side. Really? I've seen her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh Does she have a one-woman show? She is also, she's a performing artist. She's not a comedian, but she she's done theater. Mm-hmm. We have, her and I have a friend in common who, he's Indian, but he writes plays mm-hmm. on Palestine, like very serious plays. Uh, and she performs his plays at like the table readings and stuff like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. She, she's very creative. And Susie, you're also writing a book, right? Called yeah. I Married a Muslim and Nobody Died. <laughs> Is that really what it's called? Which was the initial name of the uh, moth story, but uh, then they changed it to Olive Oil They're like, eyes. this is too... Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll go with Olive Oil Eyes. Yeah. This is a little too yeah. much. My first five minutes of comedy ended in this punch of I Married a Muslim and no one died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was the inspiration for that? I can only guess. <laughs> well, I think that like... Comedy is basically like tragedy plus a little time. So by the time I decided to do stand-up, it had been 10 years since I've been married. And for the first five years, I, I felt like a pariah. Like my family didn't treat me like a pariah, but like the Christian Palestinian comedian mm-hmm. would always say, oh, hey, Lija was a Muslim. Like she's the one who married a Muslim. And so it took time for me to process it and realize that I wasn't wrong. They they were wrong. That was just societal expectations. Societal expectations, yeah. Um, Which are very strong in the Arab community. I'm sure many other communities, but you don't go against society and you, you, you kind of have to just kind of go with what 
everybody else is doing because then you become the talk of the town (laughs) yeah yeah like you become the talk of the town and I felt like for the first five years of my marriage I I kind of stayed away um because I felt like they they were judging because I did go against the, the expectations um, but then, you know, when, when they, whenever my family would meet Saqib and his family, they're like, oh my God, they're so nice. He's so nice. He's so, you know, in the beginning they would say, oh, he's moderate now, but he will become fundamentalist at some point. He's going to make you wear hijab. He's going to make you wear hijab. He's going to take your children to Pakistan and not come back. Isn't it just so funny that that's how, um, I don't, I don't know who, but there's an entire group of people in the world that think. Any Muslim is just like, like no pun intended, like a bomb, like just waiting to go off. Like yeah. they, they seem fine now, yeah. but just wait a few You never know. They turn like 50 and then they're going to... Like, yeah, we, we turn 50 and then all of a sudden our like, our like terrorism like balls drop <laughs> and it's, <laughs> the it's time. The, yeah. Gene, the, yeah. the, the comedian that I told you guys about, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to say names, but she sometimes, her and I used to host an open mic and I stopped. And sometimes she'll say, like before I come on, she'll say, okay, if... Uh, like she'll introduce me and she'll say if she doesn't kill me like I hate it when she like, yeah when people make that pun you're like a, I can make that joke like, you can't make like, that joke uh, <laughs> like non-Arab or Muslim comedians will say that which is not funny at all like, it's yeah. really and it's so it's also it's not just not funny it's period offensive. It's, it's offensive, offensive. and Deeply. it's like old news like and maybe in 2002 news. that would have been funny it's also yeah. such low hanging so fruit like yeah. find something more intelligent or witty to, to yeah. joke about if yeah. you're gonna use that but yeah yeah I've heard that too I've heard that. Oh. Yeah, wait, I had something. What were we saying before that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's so hard to keep a train of thought. I know. You have to keep a train of thought. That's the luxury. Yeah, I'm all about tangents. Um, oh, oh, so yeah, my fa- like, like The book. We were talking about yeah. the book. And so the, the book is basically my reflections <laughs> and my experience and how um, I, I, I realized that like all these, like in the beginning when I married my husband, they would say things like, you know, they would present all of the Islamophobic horror stories, which now I realize that Islamophobia is an industry. Yeah. And How so? Christian Arabs have bought into it. Oh, it's a full industry. When I went to, you have, you guys have to go to this. Last year, I was invited to Diwan, which is uh, the Arab American Museum hosts this like annual gathering of like thinkers, artists, social activists, uh, media personalities. And so they invited me to speak on the role of comedy mm-hmm. as a tool to advance social justice, which, I mean, I use it as a tool to just, like, leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the guys that I met is this guy, Khaled Baidun, and he did a workshop. And they do all these workshops for two days that are super interesting. One of the workshops is how Islamophobia is an industry. And it wasn't until I saw that that I realized, oh, my God, like, non-Muslim Arabs or uh, minorities buy into the Islamophobia. Because it's like it all seeps in from colonialism, I think. That's interesting. What, I are, what are some of the things that went like growing up? They told you like Islam is like the most dangerous, evil thing. Like, what are the oh, what kind of stereotypes? Is, I, mean, I, I talk about this in my comedy that at, literally in our home for breakfast, like for, for breakfast as, as Palestinian Christians growing up in the West Bank, for breakfast, you're fed Jewish conspiracy theories. Like they blame <laughs> everything on the Jews. And then for lunch, Islamophobic horror stories. <laughs> like, as, as I remember being a little girl and being told, this one ran away with a Muslim and then her family took her to Jordan and murdered her, like, honor killings, like, just scaring you. Or, like, they would say, like, you know, it was never, there was never a happy story of a, of a Christian. Like, there was never a happy We ending. got the flip side, too. My mom was like, you know, there's this woman from a nearby village. And actually, I think, Leila, she's from, from your village. Yeah. Oh we, so... Leila and oh, no. I are, are related 
and we're from two different villages though it's it's confusing yes we're from villages <laughs> and that's how you know like which is such a weird thing saying that on the upper west side we're all villages we're Palestinians all we are like, like we are fallahin we yeah. are like that means peasants. like yeah, yeah, yeah. farmers or yeah or, that's why we got screwed over I think yeah. we just weren't like articulate like these cosmopolitan yeah. people came from Europe and they just took over the right. land and like we were like what what yeah. just happened so m- my mom would tell me this horror story about this woman from this village who married a, a Palestinian Christian man and I and now that now she's crazy and that's why yeah. and I'm like wait maybe she was always mentally ill and <laughs> <they're> just, <laughs> can't we just can't it's give just her the benefit story. of the doubt it's just yeah it's there's horrible. a woman so in my family who's crazy Mm, I'm sure there's lots yeah. of <laughs> lots of people. Maybe it's her. like once I once if I if I ever make it like become rich, I think one of the charities that I want to do is like a, a charity to support people who want to marry outside the religion, like, like, like secular, yeah. like civil yeah. marriage. Like you should be able to have a civil marriage and in the West Bank. You can't do that in the Middle East. You no, can't you have, have a... to like run away to Cyprus. But. Anywhere in the Middle East, right? You can't have a can. secular civil marriage. I couldn't do it in America, Athir. I still had to have like a church wedding. Which really? Is, yeah. My mom said, you're not leaving this house unless, you know, you you have a Greek Orthodox Oh, I mass. didn't realize that. So did you do yeah. both like a Muslim wedding and a, a yeah. Christian wedding? <laughs> like, I don't know how we did it. It literally, literally is, it is like the story. Like I married a Muslim and no one died. We don't know how we did it. <laughs> Well, there's one God. Is God like I just I saw this already? Like yeah, yeah. I do this twice, or that's interesting. But I know a lot of like couples that have done that. Yeah, no, no. It was it was dramatic, and I think that's what drove the comedy. I remember like I would come home. I was working at that time when I was dating sex, and I would come home, and I I said this in the mouth stories, and I would find horror stories like cut and pasted from the Stop. newspaper. Yeah, and left. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But where, where would they find this? And the biggest, like, uh, sort of, like, arc, story arc, is that once he turns 40, like, he's moderate now and he doesn't practice and blah, blah, blah. But once he turns 40, things are going to get hard. Life is going to get hard. And the thing is, life did get hard. But he didn't become fundamentalist when he turned 40. He became an artist. Ah. Which is worse, I think, like, because... I think that like I'm sure that terrorists have like fundamentalists a probably have a 401k. <laughs> they have a 401k. They have like some sort of like regular retirement income. plan. Yeah. They're like taken care of by their organization. Yeah, you know, yeah. as long as they follow the rules. So I realized that years later, I'm like they were right. Things did get hard, <laughs> but he became an artist. Do you think that's just life experience, or was that that did that have anything to do with your interfaith marriage, or just? Just, that's uh, just him becoming an artist? No, you, <laughs> that would be funny. You go to comedy, he goes to yeah. art. Uh, no, I just mean having like a, 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 you were talking about having like midlife crisis or things getting hard. No, I think I would have had a midlife crisis anyways right. because I wanted to know like what my purpose, what my passion is, yeah. what, what, what is like Picasso says that uh, the, the meaning of life is to find your purpose and, uh, and the purpose of life to, to find your gift mm-hmm. and the purpose of life is to give it away. So oh, I love that. Yeah, I think New York does that to you. Exactly four I years agree. into New York, I, I was like, what? What am I supposed to do? Like, I, I like being a mom. I like being, you know, I, I I do a lot of like accounting stuff for sex, but I didn't. That wasn't my purpose. That didn't give me validation. Is that what you did before comedy? You were an I was accountant? actually a tax accountant at the end. Oh my but god! I was really, I was the really, antithesis of comedy. <laughs> I was so bad at it. I was keep. I would keep filing extensions. I've, I've, I've talked about this in comedy and, and if you heard me you would think I'm working at a hair salon <laughs> more extensions over here <laughs> I was terrible I just took so many chai breaks 
uh, I worked in the Bay Area for high net worth individuals. Oh my god! Yeah, and I would just keep extending like all the way. Like from, that probably didn't go over well. April to June, June to August, August like December was my busy time. <laughs> like, and then you have to like rev up again for the new cycle. Oh yeah, no, what? it wasn't a good match, but it's because. Again, like when we moved to America, we were immigrants and immigrants tell you to go for immigrant jobs, oh, yeah. like safe jobs, like accounting, engineer. Yeah. Yeah. They don't tell you to go and do the moth storytelling mm-hmm. like th- that. Art is nowhere on our radar because Never, it's like yeah. on top of the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy Arch- of needs. Right. Art and self-actualization is on top. And we are because of colonization and oppression and, and ethnic cleansing. We're insecure people. So mm-hmm. we we're constantly trying to establish security. Financial yes. security and, and financial, like family, love, like all of these things mm-hmm. that are, you know, way before self-actualization. Maslow was not Arab. He did not understand Maslow. our needs. Yeah. I, always, I always tell my boyfriend because he because I'm I'm extremely jealous. I'm also extremely passionate and fun to be around. I have all these like amazing qualities, in my opinion, but I'm also very jealous. I also have like a big temper. And whenever my boyfriend is like, I've never had to deal with this before. Like, what's your problem? I'm always like, you know what? You don't have to deal with this with white women because white women have never had anything taken away from them. Yeah. So they're very secure all the time because they, they can be. Um, and it's a joke, but it's also very real. I guess you find different things to be insecure about, depending oh, on just insecure just about everything. People, like, yeah. Yeah. Super, yeah. Like, we just emotional people. We get angry, we scream. Like, that's who we are. Yeah. Why but then we, just also, we also don't, like, hold... Um, like, I can be angry at someone, and then five minutes later, yeah. once I've gotten it out, I'm like, okay, what's for dinner? Exactly. And he, can, he can't fathom that. He's yeah. just like, I need to not speak to you for three days after what you said to me. And I'm like, seriously? That's like, like that was Tuesday so five minutes ago. Yeah. 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 We don't it's hold so grudges. It's so true. Like yeah. I, I'm you just let of, it out. Yeah, I I don't really have. I'm more. I guess I'm more passive uh, aggressive. Really, I, yeah. uh, I don't have a temper. I'm so even keeled. I'm, yeah, I'm. That's so one stable. of the things at the end that I saw. That that's one of the things I had to deal with the therapist was I I was very passive aggressive, mm-hmm. and then the therapist helped me realize that. Um, like in our culture, there's a lot of nonverbal communication. Oh, yeah. But America requires assertiveness. Like you have to be very yeah, clear. Yeah, for sure. And so, we, you know, and the, the, the thing that drove me to the therapist, like a friend of mine was over. I was busy cooking dinner and she wouldn't leave. Like she just wouldn't leave. She was just like hanging out. And I didn't know how to say, please leave in a polite way. Because Arabs would leave. They would be like, they would sense that you were busy yeah. and needed to leave. And they would leave on their own. Brown people be- in general, like my Indian friends, my Pakistani right. friends, like they... There's so much you don't have to say. Yeah. You know? And so for some reason, like, I sent a text to my husband saying something like, she's so dumb. Like, she's still here. And then she saw it. <gasps> How? And so Did you because she was trying her? to show me something. And then oh she took my, my phone but while I was cooking. Oh. So she saw it. And I felt that's really bad. That's my worst bad. nightmare. I felt really bad. So that's a perfect example of, like, passive. I didn't know how to get her to leave. And then I was aggressive. You know, mm-hmm. so that's one of the first. But you weren't aggressive towards her. What did, did you? Did she leave? Well, I was aggressive towards her, right? Because I I called her a name and then she saw it. So that's one of the first things I discussed in therapy. Is like she told me that you have to learn to be assertive because this is a culture where a lot of communication is verbal. Like you can't yeah. depend on the nonverbal like body gestures type thing. Yeah, and as women in general, I think it's harder to. I've, yeah, that's something I've been working pleasers. on. And since being in New York, oh, sure. New York yeah. especially requires assertiveness. Yeah. Um, and not, not just New York, in all of our industries, too. Like, you can't mm-hmm. just expect things to fall into your lap. You can't even expect to just do a good job and then be recognized for doing a good job. Like, it's so, that's, like, the bare minimum. And then everything else you just have to fight for. Yeah, you have to be amazing at mm-hmm. it. 
and then you have to talk about how amazing you are at it and then you have to show people yourself talking about how amazing you are at this thing and at the end of the day it's kind of like you know and you have to be like the best of your people because i feel like every industry like there's only room for one muslim oh yeah like but you can have like 10 white guys Mm -hmm. like when i do open mics i fear you know this like you hear like 10 white guys in a row talk about the same thing but with us like there's only room for one of us yeah and the industry can only handle one of us or like on shows even just as women or people of color like you could have 10 white guys on a show no one would think anything of it but if you had eight women people would be like what's going on yeah this is weird what is this like gimmicky theme show who decides who goes on like for an open mic or for a show like who's making the decision uh for an open mic it's whoever wants to sign up okay so just it's just yeah yeah it's just a um and then other shows it just depends on who produces it they get like have either of you been either of you been turned down because they were like oh we don't no it's not that overt they either just don't ask you to do a show. Yeah. Or, I don't know, if you ask, sometimes there's just, there are only so many spots or so many shows that you could be on. So sometimes it's uh, it's just a matter of trying to find your place. It's not really anything personal. But yeah. I don't think it's that overt, even if it were the reason. Like, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, no, I've, I've never, for me, the, the, the issue, like, I, ne- I never have a shortage of stage time. It's making the time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did you find? This. Oh, no. What is it? It's this. He has a cut. A cut? Oh, no. From where? I don't know. Okay, okay, <laughs> we can deal with it later. It's some, yeah. Can you wash it? <laughs> I'm like, so I'm nervous Like, he's injured. That is no big deal. I know. He's like, whatever, my... My foot is hanging off. <laughs> um, How old is your son? He's 10. He's 10. Wow. Yeah. What's it like uh, as you, I, I saw in your bio called Arab Stani, then Arab Pakistani. He's Pakistanian. He's Pakistanian. a third culture kid. I was explaining to him because we have these house guests and it's my husband's cousin who's married to a Dutch woman and their kids are half Dutch, half Pakistani. And so it was Saira that taught me a third culture kid. So I was telling him that they're just like you. It's, it's so common now. It yeah. is. Yeah. But I think that... Have you guys read this book, Americana? No. no. So there's this amazing we paragraph in it. We need to read for sure. Yeah, Add that to the list. It's always rated like in the top uh, most important books. You have to read that book. It's okay. really great. But there's this f- paragraph yeah, where she talks now. about that the only way to end racism mm-hmm. or to reverse the legacy of colonialism and, and uh, slavery is through love. Like, inter, like interracial love. That's the only thing that like really changes people's minds yeah I, I think from my experience it's so true because oh for sure once my family like met my in-laws and like they realized my mom has like we're six and my mom to her deathbed she would say the the pakistanis are the best they're wow. better than any of my other um nasayib what's the in-laws in-laws or, yeah um but that you're lucky that your mom was that open-minded many parents would refuse to meet the significant other yeah i'm so lucky i think my mom was way ahead of her time yeah so that opportunity wouldn't even be there to yeah you know it's the same with islamophobia once you meet someone who's arab or muslim or you know then it it kind of normalizes that interaction and it humanizes them because i think people see us as something to be feared and it's not until you meet us or us being on stage or Layla, you writing or people meeting you and not, I'm sure they don't immediately think that you're Arab. Oh, no, not at all. But people do send me a lot of tweets that say, like, if it's from, like, Muslim haters, they'll be like, 
how come you don't cover? Like, you're a disgrace. I know. I get hate from both sides. <laughs> and then I have other one. I had a, a troll who started a hashtag. Only He didn't follow anybody but me. And he started this hashtag that was teach Muslims not to stab. And he just kept, like, responding to all of my stories. Like, yeah, but what about, like, because I think it was right after there was some stabbing in, like, London or Paris. So he was just attacking everything that I wrote. And it said, teach Muslims not to stab. Yeah, that and was, was like, me. Cool, I was cool. just having a bad day. And I was <laughs> it's, it's true, no, though. You know, I feel crazy. Like some days I just feel really stabby. Well, and I can't control it. <laughs> well, that's the aggressive side coming out. And my passive aggressive side was to create a separate Twitter account and just follow you and troll you on there. <laughs> That's how I deal if with my problems. If that was actually true, I would be so pissed at you. I probably would not speak to oh, you. Oh, in that case, I take it back. Because <laughs> it was like, no, do you know no what judges. happens? I reported him, and I was like, this dude is being racist. Like, this is straight racism, Twitter. And they said, no, it's in line with our guidelines. And I was like, there's no way. Like, he's being, like, he would say, like, violent things, you know? He'd be like, why are you a terrorist? Why are you this? And I would be like, calm down. So it took me, like... I, I don't know how many times I had to report him before they finally were like, fine, well, and I've gotten uh, I've suspended. I've gotten down yeah, on Instagram. So, so many times. Really? For, yes, for using the word jihad, because white people don't know what the word jihad means, so in their head, automatically, it means that if you say that word, you're planning something. Or that you're a terrorist. Can you yeah. explain what it actually means? It means, like, str- struggle. A struggle. Like a struggle on the way of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my son does these, like, this Arabic tutorial online, and whenever you get all the answers right, it, it gives him a compliment, like, Ana, mushtahed. And so, so I, I explained to I'm him, a... mushtahed comes from jihad. It means hard worker. That's all it means. I know. It makes me so sad about all the Arabic words that were hijacked I by... Hijacked. <laughs> no pun intended. Oh. Like, madrasa. Madrasa is just school. Madrasa Seriously. just means school. Taliban. Taliban just means two students. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's true. Taliban. <laughs> the world is terrified of two it's, students. It's, it's, student, it's the yeah, it proper so way to straight. say student. Yeah, it's so funny. It's, uh, you know, it puts us in such a tough place because on the one hand, like, I understand Islamophobia is an industry. You need it because you have to secure oil and you have to justify, like, military intervention. But then, you know, it puts us in this like awkward place where if we speak up, we're judged by the Islamophobes and by our, our community. That is, it's a really tough line, I think, uh, being more like secular and being more culturally Muslim. Yeah. It's so hard because I, I created this game, this card game. Uh, called Haram Green Cards, which Haram is like a sin. Yeah, we have it. Yeah, oh yeah, I you have came it too, to our lunch. We played, me and like all of my non-Arab friends played it on New Year's and it was a big hit. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's, so it's kind of like, yeah, go to haramgreencards.com. That was just my clever way of plugging that Noah but I um so we posted like sample cards on Instagram and we got reported by other Muslims and Muslims calling us uh they're like who are these anti-Muslim groups that created this Instagram we got reported twice and the card that I put up it's a funny game it's kind of like cards against humanity but it's um made for like Arabs and brown people and the card was just what did I bring back from my trip to Saudi Arabia (laughs) And then people were commenting. Wait, and the comments it, was were really there funny. no answer at all? There was no answer. It was just simply the card. <laughs> Someone just got triggered by Saudi Arabia. Like, how dare you imply that we bring things back from places? Right. It was so ridiculous. That's absurd. I can't even... Yeah, no, there, this, there yeah. really is no place for, like, secular Islam in any form of media. Even I, because um, I freelance, so I pitch stories to editors a lot. And one editor was asking for stories written by women about Ramadan and I pitched one and she responded to me and was like you're not feminist enough like this story isn't feminist enough and I was like but 
I'm a, a female writing about this thing as it affects me as a female. Like it was from my perspective. But you weren't religious enough? What does that have to do with just, feminism it, it, though? Honestly, I, I, I was so stunned. Like I sent the rejection to like all of my journalist friends. I was like, am I missing something? Like I'm, I, she was just like, you're not feminist. Like this just isn't feminist enough. And I was like, I don't even, because do you know what it was or what she claimed it was? Because I mentioned too many men in my pitch. Like, she was like, the primary character might be a man, and that's not good. And I was like, no, the primary character is me. Yeah, exactly. They were looking for... It didn't fit the exact mold of what they were picturing. That's the problem, is that, like, our community is not... Like, there isn't an elastic concept of Islam that you accept all Mm -hmm. kinds of Muslims. Like, versus Jews, I really admire Jews. Like, they all are united. You could be atheist and culturally Jewish. And the reformed Jew, they all are united. But we're not united. We judge each other, and there isn't this. I mean, it's concept. a newer. It's a definitely. A, oh, we need newer. some time. I think we, we need, need a little time, time yeah. and like another thousand years. Yeah, just give us a thousand oh, years. We'll yeah. be totally up to speed. Years. But also, just um, meeting different people from you know all spectrums of, of yeah. the religion, I guess, uh, opens up people's minds. I, like yeah. I have a friend who's an ex-Muslim, and I still consider him like he. To me, he's still on like my elastic line of Muslims. Yeah. 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 That's how I consider, like, all of us, Ethereum, like, our, the young I'm people in our family. Of Islam. <laughs> I am, like... Are you at the bottom, or... It depends on the day. <laughs> I talk about it in my company. I say I converted, but I don't practice. So it's like, I downloaded the app, but I haven't really played with it. <laughs> Once I'm afraid of death, I'll start playing with the app. <laughs> That's amazing. How, That's how does that... I'm interested in how do you balance that with raising a kid with, uh, like... That's the hardest part. Most of parenting is pretending you're serious. <laughs> He's got his in yeah, honest. you. That's we sent him to Sunday school. Oh my God! If I show you like, like Muslim, the, the doodles on his, yeah, we sent him to like the fanciest Sunday school, and it's like the Bergdorf Goodman of Sunday schools, and Ooh. he kind of got kicked out. Really? For what? <laughs> they had a, a a show, and he jumped off stage. That sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah. Sound, what that was sounds the like show? Some crowd-pleasing it was material. Uh, this is like a, this is actually a very good Sunday school and it's a very good like they're trying to establish a place for Muslims in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically like secular Muslims or moderate moderate Muslims. They're calling themselves moderate. And so the play was about um Isra and Mihraj and how the prophet basically when the prophet negotiated the prayers He's a pretty good negotiator. He went from like 50 to 5. Are we sure he's not Jewish? Yeah. <laughs> he married a Jew, didn't he? God. Muhammad married don't, a Jew. Don't quiz my Islamic history. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't think. So that is, that I is heard that hard. in like a comedy sketch recently. I didn't fact check it. No, this, but that's a great journalist. Don't quote me. <laughs> Another funny thing that came out of the Sunday, it was really funny because we signed him up for improv class. And then he comes out of improv class and he's like, who's Kim Kardashian and why haven't you told me about her? Oh, boy. And, and then what did you say? a week later, he does Sunday school and he comes out and he goes, what's the Quran and why haven't you told me about it? I'm like, oh, my God, you're 10 years old and we haven't told you about Kim Kardashian or, or the, the Quran. Quran. OK, well, at least you're being fair. Maybe you're being <laughs> too middle of the road and need to go on like yeah. the more extreme ends of the spectrum. So, yeah, now I'm actually like starting with like basic Arabic, like reading and writing. There's this great website that anybody can do, like if you want to learn, because once we get that, then I can start uh, teaching him like the Quran, like from a. Um, from like a sort cultural, of like a, an educational, educational. Point of view. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. that's what. Not I mean. a judgy point of view. Yeah, yeah. Just like this is what it says. Yeah, and you know, make it's, up it's your mind. It's basically it's a way of life. It's it's yeah. it's a, it's a yeah, moral like, code. Yeah. If you look at the principles, and you know, they're in line with other 
faiths it's the same yeah. basic principles and like I have a joke about it but it, it is I mean if it's just a way to live your life in a in a civilized way to tolerate other people yeah I mean the way people practice or the way extremists may interpret the Quran should not reflect the rest of the population and that's not that's not fair to any of us yeah because we're really the ones getting the brunt of it when you read the Quran as a parent you realize it's all discipline like the first phrase is like Iqra, read, like, read, read, yeah. read and with that's all you tell your kid is read read that's interesting yeah <laughs> there's an amazing scene did either of you guys watch the show Looming Tower on I did I did yeah there's an amazing scene where Ali Soufan who by the way I found out a colleague of mine is like good friends with and Ooh, I he's super I, cute he well the actor is super cute the real guy is not. Oh, I don't. I mean, the real guy. I, wait, are you Ali talking Sufan, about the real guy? Listen, yeah, I'm talking about the real guy. Oh, but, okay. Um, <laughs> Never imagine if I had a colleague who's friends with the actor. I would be. I thought much, you were talking about the actor. No, I would be much more excited. Maybe, but anyway, uh, there's a really good scene in it, Susie, where. Uh, so Ali Sufan in real life. So this is it's all based on a true story. It's the lead up to 9/11, and it's based on a book also called Looming Tower, which is oh an God, incredible. I see it. Yeah, it's, an, it's really good. I, I really. I'm a huge gotta choose these words carefully 9-11 uh scholar i was gonna say junkie but i'm like <laughs> that's not the right word but as a journalist you know it, it dictates everything every every Life u.s invasion yeah it, and it, it's the legislation that like the u.s ended up enacting because of 9-11 still dictates our behavior in the middle east across the board so it's really it, it's in, incredibly important when people whatever i won't even go into that but anyway so in the show um, it, a lot of it is centered about how Ali Soufan was the FBI, one of the FBI's few Arab people at the time because they didn't think it was they needed Arabic speakers or Arabs to be on in the FBI because they didn't know that this was going to be the next biggest threat yeah. to the United States. So he kind of rose very quickly because he was so useful. Oh, and in the, I don't think I don't know I can't speak to whether or not this is real, but in the show, his character, you see him. He starts. He is a secular Muslim, and it's which is amazing to see on TV. Because I was not so expecting few. that. Yeah. yeah, and he he starts going to mosque though, and you see him reading the Quran. And at first, I was like, that's so weird. Why do they have to do this stereotype where? You know, he started out like a secular Muslim and all of a sudden he's like becoming super studious. Why? But then at the very end, it's, I'm, spoilers, at the, and spoilers for you, but it's, it's real life. So you know what yeah. happens. 9-11 happens. That's the last episode. Spoiler but, alert. <laughs> spoiler if you haven't alert. heard about it now. <laughs> it's a, a big thing. But anyway. That's he, another it's thing a big Zidane thing that happened, yeah. That's another thing Zidane was upset about that we haven't taught him. About 9-11? <laughs> like we didn't, like we never, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. How do you even have that? So. I don't even... But it shows him interrogating, uh, like, a former bodyguard of bin Laden. And he's like, why are you okay, basically? Like, sh- long story short, he's like, why are you okay with all this murder that's going on? He's like, it's in the Quran. And he's like, it, where is it in the... He brings him a Quran. He's like, show me where it is oh. that it's okay to kill so many people. Yeah. And the guy is like, he can't do anything. And then Sufan is like, you don't know, do you? You don't know what's in the Quran. And he's like, well, I know it's this. And he was like, that's not the Quran. That's a Hadith. And then he's like, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. And he's like, it's not the same. And then he opens the Quran and reads the line that says, he who kills, what is it? He who kills one person kills a thousand people or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, it's really bad in Islam to kill other people. And it's actually not something that is promoted. It's something that's condemned. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like, but it's fear and ignorance that yeah, drives exactly. this fear and ignorance. You guys have to read Khaled Baidun's book about the, the Islamophobia industry. It's like a proper industry. Like there's money. Being I gotta put write into this it. down. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna He's have the guy who did the workshop this. at Duan. Yeah. yeah. 
But um, Americana is a much lighter read. <laughs> we'll do both. And then maybe we'll, ha- you know, what we should, we should have a book club episode where we read all of the books and that all of our guests yeah, uh, ask us to and we talk about Can them. I do the audio version? I was going to say, I'll probably <laughs> just listen to them. I know, I know. The audible version of Americana is very funny because really? there's like African accent. Oh my gosh. And the African names like are, are also well pronounced. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The audio version of Looming Tower, which is how I quote unquote read the book, um, <laughs> is really bad with the Arabic Should names. I read the book before watching the episode? I think, I mean, the book I is, didn't read the book, it's, obviously. Yeah, it's very academic. The book academic. by the FBI. No, no, uh, it's by Lawrence Wright, who is oh. like, he has written like several books. On, I was on expecting it to be like Homeland and I was prepared to be offended. To, to, yeah, I'm always no, the prepared to hate. the book is really good. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. The but book I, is like considered like, uh, if you're a journalist and you want to cover terrorism or conflict, it, that's like one of the best books to sort of get your bearings on al-qaeda and everything leading up to it so it was like an incredible i was surprised that they made a show of the book because the book is so i i find it like kind of dry actually compared to other because there are so many like isis and al-qaeda books now and they're all written like like very movie like where they are like mm. there's explosions and crazy stuff and this one is a little bit more um, like factual or yeah, not like fa- or more they're all factual it's more nitty-gritty you know mm-hmm. like it really it's very in-depth and i so love that detail that yeah. you just mentioned like that is never portrayed was, on tv the fact that they showed it on tv yeah. was really i don't remember if anything like that is in the book and i'm sure even if it was it wouldn't have the same you're not seeing it you know yeah. the way that you're seeing a show and i was genuinely so moved which is not a lot it doesn't take a lot to move me on things related <laughs> to 9-11 <laughs> Because I'm so inundated with this. I hope this does not get taken out of context. It's, it's just it a soundbite. No, she is a scholar. I'm of a 9/11. journalist. She's not a 9/11 denier. I'm not a 9/11 denier, but I cover specifically. I cover the 9/11 trial in Guantanamo Bay, so I go down to Guantanamo all the oh, time, wow. and I see. So, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm seeing them, and I have to read all this legal, like. I don't. I was in. Like, wait, wait. Didn't he make craft. a statement? The, the the mastermind of 9/11. He's made so many. Yeah. No. Did he, he make a statement against the CIA placement? Against which CIA placement? The the woman that they were uh, passing in uh, the Senate. She was she was going through oh, the Senate hearings. You know what? I don't know. Maybe yeah. like he made it. Well, all of his lawyers may have made, are super vocal about Gina Haspel because she had such a like major role in torture while he was there. But he um. Yeah, they were, I, you know what, I'm so honored that I get to tell you this, but to court, all five of the 9-11 related detainees, they were kafias with like the Dome of the Rock and a Palestinian flag on it. So the only flags in the courtroom are the American flag, the five flags for each of the military, and then five teeny tiny little Palestinian flags on their on their. Spots. I don't know if that gives me comfort yeah. or fear. I'm like, uh, what did we've you had enough- that statement with? You're like, going to love this? You're going to love this? I'm not sure. Like, this is the problem. That's is a really that, good like, point. These I are the people representing. Yeah. Again, I meant, this is where I, I like, walk the like line. I'm like an Oscar so nominee to say free ad. Like, when the Oscars uh, happened, I was like, no they one did, said free ad. Well, not the Oscars, but a lot of celebrities, even Sarah Silverman, um, Mark Ruffalo, they yeah. tweeted out. About yeah. her or about uh, Mimi, uh, who is uh, a teenage uh, Palestinian prisoner who was arrested at 16 for slapping a soldier. Yeah. Um, you can read about her. She is Mimi. gorgeous and she, she has amazing really hair. Well, th- I wonder if she has like a good hair care routine in prison. Oh like, my what's God. That? Um, 
yeah, my other cousin's also a journalist and has been covering like the trials. Uh, so many journalists in that family. Um, but but I, we need that. We need, we need to that. own our we story. Need, we can't let other people tell our yeah, story and, anymore. And disclaimer, our story is not Palestine and Guantanamo. <laughs> yeah, that's not our story. We're also people. I feel like I got a little ahead of myself. funny. Like, did you interview them on why? Like, they wouldn't. No, you're not yeah. allowed to talk to them. But oh. they did... Um, I'm the only like Arab reporter that goes down like now at the, a long time ago. Lots of them did, but right now it's just me. And yeah, they're like, it's, you, you know what you get? It's such a small like bubble that you're in and you just want to get so much, especially as a journalist, you want to get so much information. Like I know people who cover ISIS or who cover like the war in Iraq and they'll be like, yes, I got like, I finally got someone in ISIS to talk to me. And you're like, you have to stop yourself and be like, fuck, that's actually like, problematic in many ways and we shouldn't be bragging about this but it is it's just so well as a if that's your career then yeah it's exactly. just like another like, subject that is willing to talk to you yeah and it's but yeah so and it's it's not a good thing that you know the most hated terrorists in the world kind of <laughs> say that their reasoning was because of israel and all that so it, it is it is very problematic but at the same time it just it's one of those things that is a lot of so much of American Islamophobia started on 9-11 and trying to understand that and trying to like get to the bottom of every I little detail. I mean, it was there before. No, I think it was there before because they had to justify military interference. Yeah. But it wasn't though, it wasn't so, like now it's like you, like you can, like, it's like really in your face, you know, like it's loud. I think it gave them a reason to pinpoint and say but it, that they hate Islam. But not just it gave them a reason. It gave them a reason that nobody questions. Nobody says you shouldn't hate Muslim. Like now maybe. It but gave like, them justification for their bias that they already had. Just It's exactly like what's happening now with Trump. Like people, like hate crimes went up after Trump got elected, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah he didn't um, incite those hate crimes, but he just... It, people get emboldened though. And yes. once enough people get emboldened to hate something, then that just takes it to a whole different level. And it's that like... It's really but I feel like it's been there. And, 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 again, I hate to quote another book, but Jack Shaheen's book on... Uh, real Bad Arabs. Real Arab, Bad Arab, yeah. like real spelled R-E-E-L. He goes back to the yeah. early 1900s. I mean, we've been vilified in the media for so long. Yeah, forever. That like, I'm surprised like we're normal. Like, like we like. Are we? We on the table sitting here. I'm thinking back to everything that I've said in the past hour, and I'm like, damn it, no, I'm not normal. Is anyone <laughs> normal? No one's normal. But uh, there's another there's a Lebanese artist who says, you know, to be an Arab today, especially like a female Arab where you have to balance like the expectations of society and your family and like you know no sex outside marriage or whatever and to also like balance like our our being otherized all the time it makes you schizophrenic oh yeah like you're you're constantly like living a double life to yeah yeah, yeah. well you're yeah you're wearing different hats you're you're trying to be you're trying to fit in american culture you're trying to fit into arab culture you're trying to you just disarm cult. people. Like, you, do you always find that like, you're always disarming yes. people? Yes, it's yeah. exhausting. It's not as much maybe in New York because people are a little bit. Uh, they've been exposed to other Arabs. But yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. It used to be much worse when I lived in California. Now, I honestly feel like the zeitgeist is with us. Like, once I say on a stage, I'm Palestinian, people are with me. Like, I've never people like the public opinion i think is with us but yeah. the media of course is not with yeah. us and the power structure is not with us yeah i guess it, it depends where you are because in alabama people don't even know what palestine is everyone again people, thinks pakistan it's also yeah. people, not just people don't know what palestine is but people 
know what Israel is from the Bible. So they automatically have like the whole Bible in their court. So people conflate being pro-Israel with being pro-Christianity. Well, this is a Judeo-Christian country. Right? Yeah. That's the narrative. Yeah. It's, it's th- that's just unfair. You know, they got the whole freaking Bible. All we got is tiny Palestinian flags in Guantanamo. <laughs> like, it's like, well, at least we got that going for us. Leila, that is like, that is not funny, but I find it I funny. I it's I not funny. Like that. Those are the well, guys. do you find that we, I don't Why know. Why can't movie stars wear the Palestinian flag? That would Luke, be so much Luke better Luke for us. Fiasco, where, okay. Not that he matters anymore, but he was a big ally that one yeah. time. Yeah. That's true. Um, oh, the Hadids, Gigi Hadid, yeah, Hadid. Yeah, but she's but Palestinian. Palestinian. half Palestinian. Yeah. yeah, but to to Americans who can't tell, like it's a big deal Wait. when a supermodel that you think is white, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. like, oh shit, maybe yeah. I should care about this because Gigi Hadid cares about it. There's um, which is how I just live my life so every day. They're super relevant still. Maroon Five. There's a picture <laughs> of them where one of their band members was wearing a Palestinian really? flag. Yeah, I want to pull it up. I wonder, and I always wonder, I'm like, was this accidental or uh, was this, like, on purpose? I feel oh, like he's... we are, like, the symbol of injustice. It's one of really the wearing... Jewish members. He's wearing a Palestinian flag. That's pretty this, cool. This yeah. picture is, like, 100 years old. Yeah. Do you want to solicit a Maroon 5? <laughs> we should, like, document all the stars that are pro-Palestinian. I, I think I... We're I'm just grasping sure, to anything. I'm uh, sure an SJP somewhere in the country has the already student. done so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For yeah. yeah. And I think, like, to be an artist in today's... Yeah. Like, to be an artist... I read this somewhere. You have to be pro-Palestinian because... And I think us as Palestinians, we're like now Palestine is like a state of mind. It's not an actual state. Yeah. And we are just a symbol of injustice everywhere. Like, but I, I, I think to claim that you're you're humanist, you need to be pro-Palestinian or understand it, yeah. that it's not even just about it's not about land. It's not it's about, about Jewish Muslim no. Christian. No. It's, it's about, far beyond that. It's no. about people are being mistreated like, and killed. They, like they don't have human rights. Killed. They have no human rights. I spoke at the PCRF, the Palestine mm-hmm. Children Relief Fund. Like mm-hmm. they invited me to speak, and I spoke right after Rami Kanazi, who's a famous poet. A uh, he's a Palestinian poet. spoken word poet, and uh, I was uh, between Rami and um, Eliasa Shabazz, Malcolm X's daughter. So I had to like do comedy between poetry and social justice. God, I hate when they book you for like events where it's like serious, serious stuff. And then you're in the middle to break it up. Yeah. Like I had an imam at NYU open for me, basically. I mean, he didn't really, I had to go up after him. And he told this very like heroic story about this poor woman who was being like abused and how the mosque like, stepped up and took her in and helped her. And he literally cried. Oh my and God. I had to get on stage right after it. And do glory holes and- for peace. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my punchlines. Yeah. And it's talking about Palestine and Israel. It uh, is so hard. Like, it's so hard. Sometimes I have to follow, like, a very patriotic, like, song. Like, mountainy, mountainy. And, like, you have a, to do comedy. But those Arabic. are the gigs that pay. I find that, like, the paying gigs are, are my people. Are, like, the, the paying gigs? Yeah, I yeah. follow the money. Follow the, yeah, I don't where, care. Like, uh, where do you get your inspiration? Money. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to pay rent. And, and, and you know what? To be paid to do art and do comedy in New York City is a big deal. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's not huge, easy. It's a huge deal anywhere. Yeah. When I first started, I was afraid of performing to Arabs. I would only, like, I stayed in my safe zones, you know. I would just perform to Americans or, like, liberal Jews are actually a great audience. Yeah. They are. Because um, they want to laugh. They understand what's going on. Yeah. And they understand where you're coming from. And they're, they're secure. Like, right? They're, it's all about Maslow's needs. They're at the top of the triangle. They're, they're Nothing you say is going to 
this they live on you know central park west and like upper west side they're not nothing you could say is gonna like scare it's the them triangle the illuminati yeah. is that you guys yeah. have to see everything the, comes the down to maslow's needs. Do. everything comes down to that everything you should look up a book what's on the that arab too? version of maslow like mazin i don't know <laughs> i wrote an essay about this who, really? who is our maslow yeah i wrote an essay on like what i think are the roots of terror Oh my god! Yeah, I have to read where it. can we yeah. find your work? Because remember, yeah. guys, I wrote first and then I did come. Oh, nobody read my blog, and that's why I do stand up. You're like, I've got to yeah. now verbalize. Now this I have blog. to say my yeah. blog. Yeah, to yeah. So where people. is this blog still it's, up? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's Susie Sesso. Susie Sesso. Everything is Susie Sesso. Twitter, so uh, Instagram, Facebook. Okay. My blog. We're going to put it in our show notes. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> so people can find you. No, this is really but interesting. What was I saying? Yeah, in the beginning, I didn't like performing to Arabs because I was afraid that I would offend them or, you know, they wouldn't get... I, I was like, I don't know why. I was afraid. It's I funny did. how we have biases against our own people too. Yeah, yeah of course. People and, who have been colonized have uh, suffered from um, internal racism, internalized racism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, black people also have this because of slavery. It's very normal. Um... But normal I mean, as, I, in common, as in common, like common as in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't feel bad if you hate your own people. It's it's, it's a legitimate condition. Just don't hate us. Yeah. Hate your own people yeah, yeah. first. Yeah, let's fix that issue. Each other, just ourselves. But yeah, I wouldn't do like the Arab comedy festival for the longest time, and then. Um, I met Amir Zahir, who's a comedian in Detroit. I met him at Diwan. Yeah, he does yeah. the Dearborn Comedy Festival. Yeah. I've done that one. And yeah, that was... and Amir encouraged me. He's like, he makes a full living just from our people like from arabs he i tours. personally i i see what, i'm not saying it's one or the other but right. he encouraged me to just to do it out. yeah, yeah. that's I when agree. i submitted to like the arab comedy festival to dean's show right i think it's good to have a wide range of things that you can talk about that yeah. appeals to multiple people yeah um and also you know stay close to your own story and, yeah. and not pander like there's yeah, a fine line yeah. between pandering to an audience and yeah. then um, just being true to yourself. And sometimes I, I find that, you know... It I'm can not be... authentic when I pander. Exactly. Yeah. And people can see it. People Do you feel find it. that, like, like, the people that you make laugh in your real life, those end up being your audience? <laughs> I, I haven't had anyone laugh in real life yet. So I don't... <laughs> oh, so... wait, you guys are my audience now. <laughs> um, well, the people I make laugh the like most in your are people daily close life. to me. Yeah. And my friends and my family. Who know and, you. Who know me. So yeah. it's hard for me to elicit that same type of humor on stage. I would like to, and I think that's, it's just a different, and I noticed, I don't know if you feel the same way, or Layla, like in different languages, you have different humor. Like if you're joking with someone in Arabic versus oh, in yeah. English. Yeah, like or, I think I'm funnier in Arabic, and I also learned Urdu. Oh, wow. When I met my what? husband. Yeah, when we met, I learned Urdu and he learned Arabic. Like we came towards each other. You guys are incredible. You yeah. should write a book about so how I, I was very funny in Pakistan. Is... Atir, I made okay. like Urdu jokes like where the punch is in Urdu. I would do the setup. My, my Urdu is not that great. And then you're yeah. like and the Taliban that just means two students. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what I observed in Pakistan is that girls are doing much better in school than boys. <laughs> so every time we would meet yeah, like obviously. the village kids I would ask these, you know, these kids, like, tell me, you know, in Urdu, I would ask them about their grades, who'd done better. And then this one little girl, like, wanted to hang out in the, in the village. Like, she wanted to hang out because she had so much to tell me. And she basically, like, told me at the end, like, towards the end that all of her brothers failed school. And she's like, I did so well. Like, it was so funny. I feel like as women also, we need more security. And we and one way to do that is through education and being independent, financially yeah. independent. Oh. So, and also we're, I don't know if it's, we're kind of told by parents like we're the expectations for women is higher to do um 
to do well in school than for boys. I feel like they, I don't know, there's this kind of cultural thing, I feel like, where it's like, oh, a man can find a job at doing anything, but a woman, like they can land on their feet doing any kind of job, but a woman needs like a profession or I don't know. Yeah. That was kind of, uh, I don't know if you feel the same. Is it that way in, in Greece at all? Do you feel, so I don't know anything Greek, about talked about, but people, no. though. <laughs> no, I don't know. I guess you have brothers. <laughs> yes, yeah. I have a brother who dropped out of college and my parents are totally fine with it, which is absurd. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. What, because, and you have a master's degree from yeah, Stanford, because so it's like a totally different. pressured me to do so. So we get the pressure. It is is a huge. But my dad is always. Every time my little brother does something stupid, I'm like, "What? Like, are you gonna do something, parents? Are you gonna? Are you gonna?" Yeah, no, no. And they're like, "No, no. He's not as smart as you. So (laughs) we gotta, you know, we gotta go easier on him because you're the smarter one." And they're always. They were always really hard on me, and I was like, "Why?" And they're like, "We just expect more from you because you're so much smarter." I'm like, "This, this doesn't add up. You know, like the system doesn't really work for me." I think as a society, we're doing a terrible job with boys. I mean, not just Arabs, but Americans as well. Again, Fadi Zaghmout talked about this. He's a Jordanian writer. He talked about the difference in achievement in the Arab world between girls and boys. Boys are kind of told to be like a badai, you know, like the, the macho guy. Mm-hmm. So the education is not a stress. And for girls, education is stress, but only to improve your marriage prospects. Not really? As, yeah. That's or like you said, you know, like the, the guy can always like open a grocery store or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I've noticed like just from my own like casual observations... I've noticed that I have a lot of Palestinian friends whose brothers are underachievers, but they've done really well, like like the professionals, and they can't find husbands. Like we're beginning to have like the, the black problem. Like there's a lot of black professional women who can't find husbands. Arabs are beginning to have this problem. Women are finding it harder. To women find are finding because, it very hard yeah. to find guys who are equally educated. I see. And because, because when when white guys are like for when it's sorry for when black men are like statistically not culturally i don't know like i don't can't speak for black men but when it the the trend is that when black men are more successful they tend to choose white white wives. women it's the same with arab men yeah oh no my for God. sure there's this dad i don't think these people will hear this <laughs> but there's this dad in our, in our there's not that many arabs in in uh, in zidane school uh, but there's this dad who's married to a white woman and he's like a high achiever and every time I see him he knows that I'm thinking Khsara. Yeah. What a waste. We should have kept him. Like not for me, I'm happily married, but like he's a good catch. Yeah. We lost. Yeah. So I'm thinking like I have a black friends who are also like like that, you know, who are professional and smart and hardworking and they can't find and, and so they feel the same way when they see a black guy who's married to a white woman they're like like a little bit of violence that comes out <laughs> there's a big storyline about it in insecure on hbo uh, yeah. Love that show. yeah shout out Issa Rae. Yeah. love that show yeah it was a really good show yeah she's so good she is so good and yeah, she like she's very talented the the lawyer character every time i like witness her fake life i'm like yeah. god i really have not accomplished anything in my life <laughs> and i love how she shows that like really fine line like of of being the highly nuanced character mm-hmm. where she's expected to like work with underprivileged kids, but she really doesn't want to. Yeah, yeah. I've just been questioning all my life choices since I've been here. <laughs> I think, you know, I have a joke about like marrying into Saqib's family. Yeah. But, like there's so many professionals, like everybody's a professional. And, and, and when I first, can I say this joke, Saqib? When I first he saw, already knows where when I first <laughs> saw like pictures of his family, like in, in their house, 
I was like, oh my god, there's pictures of the Queen of England. Wait, really? And I, said, I saw it on your on yeah, the moth, uh, on the moth thing, yeah. bio. I said, your family entertains the Queen of England, and my family entertains in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. Yeah. Same oh, thing. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You from the same status. You can do shisha in the garage with the Queen of England. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's she, wishes. she wishes. She yeah. wishes you could do that. Yeah. Very exclusive. Well, thank you so much for speaking oh, with us, yeah. This was so fun. It, it was, was so fun and very educational. Now we have homework. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's good. We should be smarter. Yeah, we have. We should start a book full reading. We honestly, like, yeah. no joke. We should totally start like, um, I don't even know what it would be like a WOC or like Arab women book club or like anti colonization. Yeah, like it's just like they're That's really important books. And Zidane, honestly, do you want to add anything to that? Do you want to tell them about my mom's self? I didn't talk about my mom's self. Can we? Can we? Yeah. Am I? Am I a funny mom? Zidane, come sit down. Tell us. What do you What do you think of your mom? Can you speak into the microphone? Yeah, Where do you, What do you think of your mom doing comedy? Uh, come closer. I think it makes a good impression when I tell kids at school my mom's a comedian. But my friend's mom's like a neurosurgeon and, yeah. and, and, and so when I tell my mom my mom's a comedian I guess it's a little bit impressive but again it's like cool but oh my god these parents on the Upper West Side are such high achievers it's like, it's like a su- achieving a super chicken marries another super chicken and then they have super chicken everybody's like super high achiever <laughs> Actually, they all meet in the Ivy Leagues and then they have like super smart children. I'm really scared to actually say say something about my mom right now because she's gonna hold this over my head. Next time in a lecture, I'm gonna say I'm not a bad kid and she's gonna go, This happened! So I'm gonna just. You're gonna save yourself. <laughs> good choice. Well, thank you. He's got good nice timing, to meet you. Kid.